podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. How's your fantasy team doing, mate? Oh, I haven't sat here in ages. Everyone's bored by the stage of the season, now, aren't they? That's enough out of you, you whiny limey. That's soccer, not football. And this is Paddy Power's NFL Fantasy. Running on just the 6 p.m. games, it's only a game week long. No season-long boredom. No excuses. And 750 pounds in prizes guaranteed each week. Paddy Power Fantasy. Hate waiting, love winning. Paddy Power Fantasy rules apply. Using plus Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show, presented by Paddy Power Fantasy. Good to have you with us. I'm Mike coming up very shortly. We'll deep dive into Drew Brees, the record breaker. We'll talk Janoris Jenkins bouncing to the Saints. The pro bowlers have been announced. I'm Mike's got a top five as well. It's a goodie. I can tell you that right now. So a lot coming your way. All the latest from the NFL. Just a quick shout out to our sponsors, Paddy Power Fantasy, and a plug for our daily fantasy league, which drops once again this weekend. Head to fantasy.paddypower.com forward slash league forward slash Nat Coombs show. It's a daily fantasy league. Free to enter. Lots of cash prizes. You just got to pick a team with a fictional budget of 60K. It sounds easy. It's not. The most points wins. And as the prize ladder goes down, there are cash prizes depending on how well you do. I think I might have taken down the OG this weekend, but we will get to that later on in the week. Incidentally, Gav Marcotti dropping by on Friday for our Friday show. And I, Mike and I are doing uh, a special Christmas show next Monday uh, that is dropping on the 23rd. So lots of good stuff coming your way. We'll get straight to it, though, and check in with Iron Mike. Now, I might, there's so much we're going to get into today. We're going to talk Drew Brees, of course. Uh, Janoris Jenkins, speaking of the Saints, has landed there now after his uh, trials and tribulations at the Giants recently. Uh, Josh Gordon, another sad chapter to that story. The Pro Bowlers uh, have been announced. Oh, that's your favorite part of the season. A top five as well. But I want to start today's show with Defergate. Refer what? <laughs> no, no, Defergate. What? <laughs> What? Defergate. Defergate. I want to start the show with Defergate. 12.5 pounds per square inch. No, 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 no. no. Got it. (laughs) Defergate. Oh, Oh, Defergate. Right. You kick off. (laughs) (laughs) I got it. Yeah. Walt Anderson's having a few problems. Uh, They told him it was jello night after Uh, the game. So he was in a hurry to get out of there, I think. Um, But remember, Walt Anderson was the referee in the deflate gate. Yes, of course. Which puts it in a whole different perspective now. (laughs) Well, yes, yes, it does. I, um, for a number of things, firstly, I want to get some kind of vaudeville act going with me, you and Walt Anderson. I think that's, uh, (laughs) that would be, that that would be great. Colonel Stoopnagel, Bud and Nat. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to involve balloon animals as well, but that's just just an aside. Uh, secondly, uh, I think we've talked about this before this season, Mike. I do not want anymore this i'll give you a pass today because of your shtick but no more are we going to use the word or a phrase that relies on gate in any in any capacity. I, I agree i agree with you completely okay. and, and it's really strange the way gate is or isn't used mm. you know because it's um, it's automatically a huge pejorative to throw on it it blows up any anything into a, ma- a major scandal um <laughs> right. and i i guess the cincinnati bengals taping thing is is uh spy gate two you know yeah spy gate two <laughs> <laughs> the sequel with Tom Cruise um, is is the latest is the latest example, but I'm sure that what the NFL will do now in in their their usual 
balanced uh, kind of reaction is because Walt Anderson makes makes him a hard of hearing mistake. They'll they'll basically eliminate the deferral um, the deferral option. Adam, yes, on, right on on the uh, kickoffs. Also, it was a Bill Belichick creation. Um, yes, of course. And so they automatically kind of try to undo any rule, <laughs> any rule, any um, loophole in the rules that Bill discovers to use. <laughs> Fair point. So the com- the quote unquote competition committee will uh, will probably get onto this quickly. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to that at the off season. Now, anyway, let's get on to more important things. And the great Drew Brees, who uh, broke the record on Monday night, becoming, of course, uh, the quarterback in the history of the NFL with more touchdowns than any other. Tom Brady, incidentally, is snapping at his heels and uh, got involved well, with us after and said he's still gunning for Brees. So he could end up wrestling the record back. But at the moment, it's it's in possession of Drew Brees. You know, what? one of the things I loved about this, Mike, was after the game, Brees went 29 of 30, right? And he was wound up about that. He'll, I'll be honest with you, I'll always think about the one uh, that I missed. On a, on a legendary night for him, for this terrific quarterback, that's in his mind. And that is all connected, of course. One of the reasons why he's such a great player is because they will focus in on the one thing they did wrong on one of the most special nights of their life. Yeah. And, and you know, and I thought that to me was the more impressive thing. Um, you know, the, the cumulative record is great, you know, and that, that's it. But that's still in play, as Brady said, although not this year. <laughs> um, doesn't look, doesn't look like. Yeah. Um, it was quite a cute. A quite a cute text he sent to Breeze congratulating him. And, you know, it was like a wink um, a kind of thing. But mm. he was – and I've talked about him all, you know, on and off throughout the season when he came back from his injury. And um, he seems to have – yesterday, um, he seemed to have both the zip and the accuracy that right. you, you assume he has. And that that's why he was so – effective with just the one incompletion that was the most impressive thing and and again you know the nfl being the nfl when he threw the touchdown pass to break the record they they called a penalty on traquan smith mm-hmm. which was a kind i mean yeah it was a kind of push off but it wasn't you know as with most pass interference calls it wasn't anything they don't do on every play and and so you know they they decided to to stop the celebration and let it happen again and he came right back and, and did it again um let's put breeze's career then look look back at it and, and yeah. how far uh, he's come from a I mean, right at the very beginning, of course, when he came into the NFL, given his relatively diminutive stature, which is less stark these days, of course, with Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray and, and so on in, in the NFL. But, you know, when he came in, it was the book on Brees was, we don't think he's big enough, tall enough specifically to be a successful NFL quarterback. Yeah. I, you know, coming out of Purdue, he was kind of put into, into a, um, uh, a lineage of Purdue quarterbacks. And I did a piece for Gridiron Magazine last year, or maybe even this year, beginning of this year, quarter, deciding what was quarterback you, you know, like in the way that Penn State is linebacker you mm. and USC was tailback you. And, and it was definitely Purdue had the most impressive roster of, of pro quarterbacks. Who and, else is in that lineage then? Oh, well, the, Len Dawson is, um, is, is the, is the next great one. And that's, you know, and that's one of the guys he was compared to, you know, as, as being kind of accurate, but, too, but small. But what really hurt him in San Diego was, um, the shoulder injury. The injury, right. Because when San Diego decided they wanted to go with Philip Rivers, um, Maybe because they thought Breeze was another Doug Flutie and, and too, you know, they had Doug Flutie at the time too, you know, too small, as you said, too small. Um, he could have gone to Miami and Nick Saban 
Yeah. But Nick Saban didn't want him. He wanted Dante Culpepper. Now he says it was because of the injury, but Culpepper was coming up a knee injury, which was even worse. Um, but Saban says he didn't take him because of the injury. Yeah. And um, he, so he went to New Orleans. Mm. And, I, and I think one of the things you have to realize with, you know, he's the perfect fit for Sean Payton. He let Sean Payton do what Sean Payton does to get receivers open to, um, to do. And, you know, you find a lot of the great quarterbacks were perfect fits for their teams. Right. Um, star, star and Lombardi, um, Otto Graham and Paul Brown, uh, Brady and Belichick. And, you know, and it's a different kind of thing with, with Brady and Belichick in that Brady adjusts to what Belichick wants to do mm-hmm. or has done over, over, um, the course, the course of his career. Um, Peyton Manning and, you know, any coordinator smart enough to stay out of his way and let him do whatever, <laughs> whatever he wanted. Just on um, that previous point, Mike. So take down a bit more detail. What's the difference between Brady and Belichick and Peyton and Breeze? Um, well, the, the big difference is that, that Belichick adjusts his game plan week by week. Mm. They will, they might run an entirely different offense one week and then come out and do something completely different the next. Um, you know, it might be a run first play action thing. It might be a spread formation where they'll throw the ball. They, they went up to Minnesota one time when everyone was expecting to run and they threw the ball basically every play of the game. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they're willing to do that kind of stuff. Peyton plays offensively, plays more or less the same system all the time. There are adjustments, but he's generally, you know, getting a lot of receivers out on levels requiring quick release, um, you know, good getting good matchups, which everybody wants to do nowadays. And I, I think Brian Baldinger noted there was the play um, that broke the record. There were four receivers who crossed the goal line and broke at exactly the same time. Mm-hmm. It was it was su- such a precision uh, route, and and there were a number of times when even the announcers noticed, you know, that Breeze was throwing to guys who were not open, but became open. He was throwing them open, as they say, yeah, right, um, because they know where they're going to be. And you look at that Saints team, and how many great receivers have they had? Um, Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas now, but but not too many. He he uses a mix of receivers who can do different things, and he gets the best out of all of them for that. Jared Cook has become you know sort of like the second most impre- important receiver in that offense in the past few weeks. Sure. But it'll be someone else maybe when they when they hit the playoffs. And Thomas, of course, being unstop basically unstoppable, um, gives Breeze you know a, a great uh, notice. The other interesting you're thing you're forgetting about, Teddy Ginn's time in New Orleans, Mike. Well, you know, I mean, he's always had a deep. He always tries to have a deep guy to take the, you know, which is so important nowadays. Uh, you know, look at the difference in Houston when Will Fuller V is um, is playing and when he's not. DeAndre Hopkins becomes twice as effective mm-hmm. because Fuller is taking the, the top off the defense. Um, Deshaun Jackson did that for Philadelphia for a long time. Um, and in Tampa did it. Uh, you know, Tampa's got Evans and Goodwin. It, it helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but interestingly with Breeze and, you know, and now he's the greatest quarterback of all time and, and people are releasing their top 10 lists with Breeze ahead of <laughs> all the other greats and stuff. Breeze, how many times was Drew Breeze the all pro quarterback? In other words, and I, you know, it's, that's not, that's not definitive. But in how many seasons was Drew Brees the number one quarterback in the wow. league? According was it to the, to 2008 the season? 2006 season, yeah. Six. When, 
Yeah, that's the only time he's he was considered, you know, wow. in general the best quarterback of the season. Wow. Now, obviously, the competition is tough. You got, you know, you got Rodgers and Brady, and and you have Peyton at the beginning of his career, you know, and then you have guys who have individual great seasons, like Cam Newton did, for example, um, but don't don't maintain it. And Breeze has maintained it very very consistently, um, kind of like Peyton, you know, in that sense. Uh, the other point to make on this is that there is a quarterback who's thrown 611 touchdown passes in the NFL, Ooh. Um, uh, which which beats Breeze by seven. What is it? Um, Fifty, whatever it is. Um, yeah, uh, that's that's Brady. Joey Harrington. Uh, what, what do you mean that's Brady? What, what, what that's you- counting postseason. Oh, I see. Okay. Which does count in yeah. the NFL. I mean, it, it, postseason is worth something, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Just also one other thing on Breeze before we move on, because there's a ton to get into. The connection with Peyton is apparent, and we would have chatted about this a lot this season when I was writing my column last week for ESPN about the parallels in and, and otherwise with the NFL and, and the Premier League and European football in terms of how they approach head coaches and managers. The four longest standing head coaches in the NFL right now are all Super Bowl winners. Belichick, Tomlin, Peyton and, and Harbaugh, right? And Harbaugh could go on and, and get another one this time around. So we yeah. understand the importance of, of continuity. It doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to work that out, but there's more to this relationship than just continuity and success. The emotion, of course, post Katrina and the importance of establishing or reestablishing the Saints as the heartbeat of that city after such a tragedy. Uh, is not to be underestimated in all this. I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, Peyton ha- had his offers and, and there was, there was a lot of give and take between him and the Saints, um, you know, when his last contract was up, but, it, but he stayed there. And, and I think it was one of those situations where both the, both the, um, the uh, relationship with the city that you talk about and the relationship with Breeze kind of kept him there. He's, you know, he's in a situation where he's got, a great deal of control where he's got the quarterback he wants who, you know, who fits his system and where they are. I think, as you said, that they are the heart of new Orleans now, mm-hmm. you know, as almost as much as music is, um, you know, they're, they're kind of like the one major league thing that they've got to, to point to uh, that's supposed you know, that's successful and, and that the, the T the city rallies around. And, you know, we were down in new Orleans, Right, you know, right after yeah. that, that time, and and you know, the city is only half as big as it was yeah. before. It's not an NFL sized city nowadays, um, so it means even more to the to the city to have that team there. One final thing on the game, but from the Colts' perspective and and their quarterback Jacoby Brissett, who had such a strong first half of the season, Mike, of course, and. Injury might have something to do with this, and I'm very keen to get your perspective on it. But we were talking about the Colts as uh, a possible, maybe even a probable playoff team for for a lot of the season. And irrespective of the difficult start they'd had to preparations this year because of the relatively last-minute Andrew Luck announcement, and everyone thought, well, that's the Colts done. And then, well, no, it's not, because Jacoby Brissett in particular is is stepping up and, and filling uh, the void to to a degree, but that's gone completely off the rails over the last three, four weeks. So where does this leave the Colts? And, and in particular, where does this leave Jacoby Brissett as a Colt? That's, that's a great question because I think Brissett's done pretty well. Um, and, and the biggest problem he's had with, with the Colts is that T.Y. Hilton has been in and out of the lineup all season long. And Marlon Mack was out of the lineup for a while. 
And, and that's their two biggest offensive threats. And, and Hilton is, I still think the, the, the greatest unrecognized receiver or the receiver whose greatness is unrecognized, you know, in, in the league. Um, and when he's playing, they're, they're a whole different team. Brissett doesn't have, doesn't have the, the vision of, of a lock. Um, but he, he's, he's a decent quarterback. Uh, he's a starting quarterback, I think, in the NFL. And I think with Frank Reich, he can probably succeed. But, but I think they just need to be, they just need to have their weapons in place. Um, and defensively, teams, teams have kind of caught up with them defensively and they're back to kind of running right at them. Uh, and that puts them on the, on the back foot as well. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if some of the uh, shine has gone off Frank Reich's apple this year, but, you know, but I think, I think what he did to keep them in contention with a last minute change to a yeah. backup quarterback, um, you know, speaks pretty well of him. A big time. Uh, and uh, is it's a really good point you make that the, I guess combining that with, with the injury as well, which is not to be underestimated. We don't know how fit he is. You know, it, I know most NFL players rarely play at a hundred percent at this stage of the season, but uh, I wonder whether that will come out a little bit. But it's yeah. And he's a tough kid and, and, yeah. you know, and, and a good kid in the, in the sense of hard working and studying and stuff like that. It was, it was one of the things, um, Bill Parcells recommendation was one of the things that caused the Patriots to draft him. Um, and that was exactly what he said, you know, that, that, that this was a smart kid who did his work in the film room. And mm. when you, when you watch him play, he's just, he, he's just not as quick recognizing where to go with the ball, which is, which is a normal thing, you know, with, mm. with, with a, a lot of quarterbacks and some good ones in the NFL, mm. there are guys who throw people open. There are guys who can see where someone's going to be open. There's guys who need to actually wait that extra beat to make sure that the target is going to be open, you know, and then throw it. And I think he, he basically falls into that category, which, which, you know, is not, it's not a fatal flaw, but, but it does let teams, when you don't have a receiver, you can depend on, or you can just toss like TY. It makes mm-hmm. it a lot harder. And toughens it up. Let's move on to the Janoris Jenkins uh, story. So the Giants cut him after he got involved in a quite unsavory uh, spat online <clears throat> with a fan. Um, <laughs> Man, I, I would have been cut by everybody. He's <laughs> <laughs> so true. Uh, the, and it was pretty, uh, well, indefensible what he said in so far oh yeah yeah unpleasant and uh, inappropriate and also for a professional athlete pretty naive right you know do you realize now that when you post something on social media people will see it okay so what are you doing yeah yeah you know you know that that's a situation where if janoris jenkins was producing at the level they were paying him the Giants wouldn't have cut. I mean, really, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they might have fined him. They might have done something, but but they wouldn't have cut him. But they were. I think they were happy to to cut bait on this one, and um, you know, save save the money they're paying him. He. It's funny because if you if you go to the stats guys, they'll say that Jenkins was having a pretty good season. But if you watch in games, you just keep seeing him make making mistakes and missing tackles and stuff like that. And, and apparently, you know, he he was not happy there. You know, and he and he made that clear to the, to them. So, you know, I think it was just a let, let's get away from this situation before it becomes a real problem. Well, he is uh, got away from that situation and but bounced and landed with the Saints, which is a pretty good bounces. Uh, as bounces go, so given what you said about his form and his 
performance this season for the Giants. Still a, a decent player, right? So do you think this is a case of fresh start, fresh situation? Yeah, I, I think very much so, especially, you know, when it's only a few weeks, you know, even, and I'm not saying Janoris Jenkins is, is like a locker room cancer or anything like that, but even a guy with, with tons of problems can come in and concentrate for, for the last two weeks of the season plus the playoffs. Um, because there's good reason reason to do that. And if you think about when they picked up Eli Apple last year, I mean, this is like this is like uh, deja vu all right. over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and Apple, you know, the Giants weren't happy with him, and and he came in. He's done pretty well for them. Yeah. He did very well, you know, toward the end of last season. Um, you know, when you over the full season, then he is what he is. Or you know, um, <laughs> Mike Lombardi said about Derek Carr this week, he's not the guy he is. <laughs> um, which which I thought which I thought was great. Uh, it's absolutely <laughs> perfect. But but Eli Apple is the guy he is, you know. Um, and and that's kind of why it's not what they need. Um, it's not their biggest need. Uh, because with Marcus Davenport um, and um, um, Rankin, Sheldon Rankin's out, they need they need help on the D line, which is why I was surprised that um, they didn't put a, or maybe they did put a claim in on on Terrell Suggs, but um, Kansas City got there first because they got you know it, it goes in reverse order the standings, um, and Suggs probably would have been more immediate help to them than than another cornerback is. But another cornerback's not going to hurt, that's for sure. Let's talk about that Suggs move to to Kansas. Yeah, what City. are we? The, is this the NBA? You know, where guys <laughs> say, "Oh, I want to go to the team that's going to win the, win the <laughs> championship." No one's going to argue with the when, when he says that, though, are they? To be frank, uh, we surprised that, we, that he was cut. Uh, uh, or do you think there was something in that that look he? quite probably although the way he's been playing maybe he does have another year in the tank but he you know conceivably is in his final year as, as a pro and he's one of the one of the great players of his generation is there an element of look we want to move on with some younger players and I think this was the line that they gave wasn't it the Bucks and we want to move on with, with younger players we'll give you a chance to, to get a ring yeah um you know look at the Cardinals they're 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 a young they're probably they maybe my bad I said Bucks I mean the cards of course yeah they 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 may be the youngest team uh, in the league all, all around. And I, and I think that's what you said is, is absolutely true. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't want to be going on a team in a building, rebuilding situation, which makes, which then makes you wonder why he, why he uh, left in the first place. And if I was Baltimore, that it was an interesting one. I, I, I didn't, I didn't see that they put a waiver claim on him. I think four teams did and Baltimore wasn't one of them because he said he wanted to go back to the Ravens. Yeah. But if you wanted so badly to be with the Ravens, why didn't you just sign with them a one year deal? You got enough money. I mean, unless he's profligate and, you know, ways that, you know, we don't know about you've earned enough money over your career. You know, at this stage of a player's career, it always amazes me if legacy isn't more important to them. Yeah. And, you know, and, and yes, sure, being a higher paid player is part of your legacy, but, you know, winning those championships, he's won one, I know, um, with, with the rate or two with the Ravens. I was here. I, that's a good question. 17 years. Um, no, no he, missed, he, missed, he, missed, he missed the first. He missed that one. Yeah. Um, it takes me a second. It was Michael Boulware was playing that uh, position uh, for them. And, um, but yeah, you know, I, I would have thought it, it says to me that he didn't see it coming like many people didn't, obviously, most of us, um, the Ravens' success this year. And just thought, you know, I, why, why struggle through another 10 and 6 season or whatever when I can go and get a whole lot more money and play in the sun or something, you know, some, something like that. So, he helps Kansas City, that's for sure. 
and and Andy Reid will be able to and Spags will be able to integrate him, I think, pretty quickly into that into that uh, defense. But I I would have thought he would have been a good fit in New Orleans just to go into that pass rushing role that Marcus mm-hmm. Davenport uh, vacated when he got hurt. So various players moving uh, around. A couple more. You know, you know what? If I, it, what, what would you think would happen if Matt Patricia released Danny Amendola right now? <laughs> I would lay a fair amount of money. Do you think he would that. survive waivers down to New England? Uh, <laughs> that's ruthless and cynical. Um, Patricia looks like he is, because you mentioned him, seeing as he's going to uh, have a, a stay of execution. One of the coaches that. Uh, significantly on uh, a hottest of hot seats, really, given the way that they have capitulated. I don't know if you've got the Stafford excuse uh, or the Stafford reason why their season has tanked, but I think a lot of people thought Patricia might uh, yeah. might be going. But it looks like he's going to get another chance. Yeah, and, and, and you know, the, the Jim Caldwell um, Appreciation Society was, <laughs> was very vocal in, in the last week um, because you, you remember Caldwell had a relatively successful time with the Lions, which is a hell of a lot more than any other coach in this period has had with them. You know, relative success is huge success in, in Detroit. But <laughs> I think, I think they were seeing at that time, they were seeing the Lions as being a real contender when they, when they actually weren't. Um, yeah. He was just getting the best out of the team, I, I, I believe. Patricia, the problem with Patricia is that he's Quinn's man, you know, the, the general manager. Bob Quinn. And Bob Quinn. And he was um, said it's going to stick around. So they've, yeah, they've, and I think they would have to get rid of both of them. Right. Um, because I think Quinn went all in on, on bringing in someone from the Patriots. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, I think it's a good lesson in how hard it is to transfer that culture over, you know, which we've seen so many times in, in assistant coaches and, and uh, stuff. And in a sense, they made a basic mistake in spending a lot of money on a guy who's a success within the New England system, but because they don't have the system around him, and I'm thinking right now of Trey Flowers, mm-hmm. who's a great player, um, and you know, and he got paid the kind of money you would pay in a, a premium pass rusher who would fit into any system. Well, Flowers, and we said, okay, he's going to Detroit. Patricia will run a similar system. And flowers will be good, you know, and, and, but he wasn't good to that money because the system around him doesn't let him be that. Um, you know, and, you know, bringing back Amendola was, was fine from the Dolphins. Um, you know, he's had a good season for them, but, you know, if Danny Amendola's your, I guess Kenny Galladay's in yardage, the leading receiver and, and Amendola may have more catches. Jones as well, but I know, yeah, he, yeah. you know, you know, he's a complimentary piece. Yeah. Um, and, uh, not that Trey is a complimentary piece, but but he's not the focus piece uh, that that you might want him to be. It's it's a really tough thing to transition like that, which is mm-hmm. one of the things I said at the beginning of the season with Brian Flores. Mm-hmm. This total clear out means he can build the whole system around what he wants to do, right? And he has a, a, a kind of a good idea of that. At, or at least we better assume he does because that, you know, that's the kind, those are the kind of moves that they've made. They've gotten rid of good players because I think they think that they can, you know, create through their system. Uh, and, you know, for, t- for the talent level they have, they've certainly outachieved Detroit this, this year. You know, mm. Detroit's got a pretty decent overall talent level. Um, there, there are a number of, you know, players there now, and now in fairness, Matt Stafford, you know, yeah. Matt Stafford's injury gives Patricia another year. 
Yeah. You know, unless you really want to get rid of him, because with Stafford back, they're they're a different team. Yeah, and the way he was playing, I mean, they were you know it, they were in contention. Final thing on this is the the Lions owner Martha Ford, Martha Firestone Ford. We expect to be a playoff contender. She said that means playing meaningful games in December. So uh, drop in the shade there, uh, Martha. <laughs> yeah. Going. Now uh, yeah, that's a great one. You know, Firestone Ford. It's as good as Rooney Mara you know, <laughs> in terms of uh, mixing. Uh, you know, the tire business and the car business. It's, it's, it's <laughs> fantastic. A very good point. The Josh Gordon uh, story taking a, a turn for the worst. Really disappointing. Is this will presumably will, will mark the end of you would think Mike of Josh Gordon? I, I, you have to. You have to believe. So, you know, it's just, and it also lets you, makes you think that the Patriots were aware of something, aware of something when they, yeah. when they let him go. Um, yeah. It's like the pro bowl teams got released and Josh Gordon got released in the same, in the same news cycle. So yeah. um, that's, that's kind of, it's sad because he's a talented player and from all indications, he's, he's a good a good kid with, with problems. I mean, not, he's a man. I mean, he's a grown man, but, but he's a good person with, with problems. Um, and, uh, you know, good luck to him overcoming those problems. But I think, I think in reality, the Patriots tried overcoming it by having him within a structured system and something to focus on, um, with people who would, you know, kind of rely on him to keep his focus and even, you know, and after a while, that wore off. And I think basically this, he's got to, you know, hopefully he can sort out his problems. And if, if by the time that's done, he's, he's too old or, you know, too past it to play football, that's a real shame. But, but certain things are more important in life than football. Yeah. Well said. Okay. Uh, we're going to do your top five in a mo. Uh, the one we rolled over from last uh, week. So apologies for that, Iron Mike. But before we do, let's do a quick line on the Pro Bowl announced overnight. The Pro Bowl selections. No surprise that. The teams with the uh, largest contingent, uh, I say, going to the Pro Bowl, at least pick for the Pro Bowl. How many of them end up actually going is another matter. Uh, the Ravens with 12, the Saints with seven, and uh, Kansas City with six. So those three, conversely, the Dolphins uh, improbably might not have anyone going to the Pro Bowl, which I can't quite believe. Well, that, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure who they do have. Someone going to the Pro Bowl. Minka Fitzpatrick's going going to the Pro Bowl and, yeah. and bring a trip. The Pro Bowl always irritates me um, because it's virtually meaningless nowadays. Um, and I like to use the old Pro Bowl, you know, um, nods to try to evaluate players historically. But but in the last like ten, fifteen years, the Pro Bowl has become meaningless because become meaningless because no one rocks up at it. Well, partly and, and because, you know, the teams from the Super Bowl aren't included mm. in the end and, and, you know, so, um, and the voting system is bizarre and, you know, so there's, there's no real, um, there's no real quality control on it. The, um, the other interesting thing is the way that it's set up and it, it also bothers me because you only play one quarterback, right? But you choose three from each team. Yeah. So given that one, maybe two of those six might be playing in the playoff, you know, in, in the Super Bowl Most or likely, that yeah. one or two of them might, might be able to get a doctor's note and avoid the game because <laughs> they have, they have better things to do. Yeah. You're usually talking about eight or so, a quarter of the league's quarterbacks or Pro Bowl quarterbacks in any given year. And that, that's a little bit too much. And then you get, of course, like, you know, only two inside linebackers, um, where, you know, I suppose they'll play four three, so you can argue they don't need a third, but but that's you know, Joe Schobert, uh Corey Littleton, Fred Warner, who started the season as an outside linebacker, but um 
when uh, Quan Alexander got hurt, moved to the middle for San Francisco. I think those guys should be on the Pro Bowl. Yeah, show us. Um, if you are the NFL.com had a piece actually which listed uh, Nick Shook, the writer, listed the key snubs and Kirk Cousins on the list. Josh Jacobs, well, I can understand. Yeah, Cousins. Now, snubs is a weird thing because Cousins, you can say he's a snub, but who's he going to replace? Yeah, okay, fair enough. I suppose. You know, it, it's like Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, or Russell Wilson. Now, can you argue Cousins is a, is better than Aaron Rodgers mm. um, this year? Maybe, but it, but I think it's it's a it's a tight run thing. But yeah, um, that was his point. Actually, just reading reading the piece. Yeah, I was looking at the list, but Shook actually says that. Despite the headline of the piece being Pro Bowl snubs, he says, the issue we have to consider with these snubs is simple. Of the players who made the Pro Bowl roster, whom do you replace? Which is a, a fair point in relation to Cousins, certainly. Josh Jacobs. Uh, the other one he had on there was interesting. I thought, well, they're all interesting for different reasons. But Darren Waller. Uh, that's a great That's a great one, because I was going to mention that. I just, I, I mean, Mark, I'm not, nothing against Mark Andrews. And, and Mark Andrews, has been kind of like the go-to guy, mm. um, you know, when they need when they need a, a touchdown or a first down for um, Lamar Jackson, and, and he's a good blocker, and you know, so he's, he's had a fine season. But I think Waller's really, you know, really had a breakthrough season um, with Oakland. And, mm. um, but that that's a good call. Right tackles are another thing. Um, Mitch Mitchell Schwartz at Kansas City and, and Ramcheck at uh, New Orleans. You know, I, I think Ramchek has probably had a better season than Armstead, who's a who's a fine tackle, but has been out half the season, which is his has been the problem of his career. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm not, you know, Ronnie Stanley, Tunsil, Trent Brown, I'm I'm you know, I'm not sure um that Schwartz isn't a better tackle than than, you know, any of those four really, even the but he's a right tackle. Um I thought Joe Tooney was another tough lead because he's been really great for the Patriots. But, mm. you know, Yanda and Nelson are, would be my first team picks anyway, probably. And then it's him and David DeCastro with linemen. Reputation means a lot. Sure. You know, yeah. uh, Frederick and Jason Kelsey, I don't think either of them has been as effective as they were. Um, uh, there were a couple of games I watched where Kelsey got ragged all, a lot. Um, but none of the guys who would, you know, who might be the replacements are names yet. Um, McCoy in New Orleans being the most, the one who's impressed me kind of, but Frank Ragnow in Detroit, I think has played really well, but that playing offensive line in Detroit doesn't get you very far. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the, the problem I have. The safeties are weird, you know, cause they pick three safeties and they call two of them free and one of them strong, but yeah. you know, um, Buddha Baker's not a free safety really. Um, by anyone's definition. Um, and uh, there's a, there's a bunch of good, good safeties. Earl Thomas is there on rep, I think mm. not that he's not that he's not still good, but there's a couple of guys who you might take over him um, on that. So it's a, it's a, it's, it's an interesting thing. And it gives people Jason, uh, Marcus Peters getting in surprised me a little Why? bit. Although, well, because he's still what he is. I mean, and and again, this speaks for Earl Thomas. So maybe I'm arguing against myself. But Thomas behind him makes Peters free to gamble. Okay. So maybe maybe he deserves that spot, you know. And um, I'm not sure who who the replacement would be. So I actually I wonder on that for- as well. Actually, whether whether there is an element in the same way you say reputation gives you an extra edge. Whether 
highlight reel plays give you an extra edge as well. Because- That's true. That's very true. And, and, you know, and national TV does mm-hmm. not just in the Pro Bowl. I mean, but, but everything, all mm-hmm. pro and, and that kind of stuff. So if you save your biggest games for Monday night football or Sunday night football or even Thursday night football, um, you know, that's, that's when, that's when people notice, um, and, and guys step, guys step to the fore. Tredavious uh, White's on the list. So there you go. That takes that. Tredav- yeah. I mean, I, it's funny because, um, somebody had a thing up yesterday before the Pro Bowl mm. saying that the Patriots had the two best corners in the league or the best pair of corners in the league. And I thought to myself, hmm, you know, I'm not sure about that. Mm. And, and, um, it was, it was, um, Gilmore, of course. So I think, is a candidate for defensive player of the year and um, JC Jackson. And so they said pro football focus has JC great Jackson grade as the number one cornerback in the league. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I thought to myself, this is why you got to take pro football focus with, a little, with, yeah. with a grain yeah. of salt, yeah, you know, and, right. and part of that is that Gilmore tends to be taking nowadays the best receiver. Um, it's not Belichick's thing used to be to put his best corner on their second best receiver mm. and double and double the best receiver, uh, thereby in theory, shutting down two guys at the same time. Right. But he's been using Gilmore this year a lot, a lot more on the other team's best receiver. So that, that might impact, impact that. Loving your work, Mike. Let's get into your top five before we get out of Dodge though. This was the one that I say, we rolled over from last week. I'm Mike's top five announcing pairs. Yeah, and there were some good suggestions coming in on on um you know in the mailbag uh, for us, and I appreciated that. Um, I hope Janoris Jenkins didn't tweet us. Uh, Jan- no, <laughs> Janoris. Uh, well, after Janoris listens to the show, I might get a few <laughs> tweets from him. I can get yeah. into a, a Twitter war with him. Yeah. <laughs> um, the problem is, I won't understand all the abbreviations these kids use. Um, That's why we have only the producer. Yeah. <laughs> so I cheated as I usually do. I cheated a little bit. Um, at number five, I had the Monday night football trio of, um, Frank Gifford, Don Meredith, and Howard Cosell. Not the Kornheiser era. That surprised me. No, strangely <laughs> enough. The Dennis Miller era. Not, not the Dennis Miller era or the Rush Limbaugh, the short lived Rush Limbaugh era. <laughs> now, when they started in 70, Keith Jackson was the play by play guy. But Jackson was too um, – well, first off, they thought he was a college guy, right? He, he was identified with college football. And secondly, he was kind of too dynamic an announcer. So they got Gifford in there to do the play-by-play, and that was perfect because Gifford could lay out for Cosell and Meredith to argue. And, mm-hmm. and you know, Cosell being the acerbic ex-lawyer sports journalist from New York and, and Meredith being the ultimate good old boy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you want to watch North Dallas 40, that quarterback is Don, <laughs> Mer- Don Meredith. Okay. Um, you know, so, so that's like an immortal thing, but because we're doing pairs, I just stuck that in. Yeah, five. At four, Nansen Romo. Mm. Um, and I'm not a huge Nance fan, but Nansen Romo worked together really well. Um, and, and Nance is always prepared and, and he's always smooth yeah. and, and with Romo kind of blurting at times because he sees stuff. And yeah, I like that. And I like the way Nance is able to, um, rein, know, him in. rein him in, get out of the way, let him do it and, and then bring it back, um, to, to the, to the play. So I think that, that works really well. Number, number three is race. Sorry, Scott. Mike, just on that, sure. Romo famously, uh, when he came out, there were lots of people saying this is revolutionary what he's doing. He's calling a play before it's about to happen. Why hadn't we seen that before to the same Because thing? basically because the color guy was 
was lay well two things one one was the color guy was supposed to lay out until after the play mm-hmm. you know or 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 keep it sim- keep it simple and secondly i'm not convinced guys actually are all able or willing to do that because they don't want to be wrong yes you know they don't want to read it wrong and yeah. you know and and i get really tired um of guys who and and it will be outcome who say oh after a play they say oh when we talk to the coaches on Thursday yeah. you know we or, or you know I see I could see that coming you know and mm. and everybody does that I I had one I have had moments doing like World League where I could I thought a pe- fake punt was coming but you don't want to say it because if you're wrong it's, it's if you're wrong it looks it looks bad it's like yeah. it's like one of the first things you learn is is don't guess about penalties or injuries. Mm. Because you're all you're you know you're going to be wrong fifty percent of the time, and yeah, yeah. you know um, especially penalties nowadays because yeah. you, you might be right, but Al Riverog doesn't <laughs> think so, so so you're wrong. But yeah. you know you can't resist doing it. But so so more 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 power to Romo for jumping in and doing that. You know I, I think that it's yeah, great. Yeah. At number three, Ray Scott to me is the greatest play by play guy of all time, and his best pairing was probably with with Paul Christman. Um, who nobody really remembers now, but Christman had a, a pretty good long career in the 60s and 70s. And Ray Scott, though, worked with Pat Summerall for CBS. Uh, actually, Ray Scott worked with Tony Canadeo, and I never heard it. I wish I'd dad. Mm-hmm. Canadeo was a Green Bay running back in the, in the 30s and 40s. Um, that would have probably been interesting. And Scott came from Green Bay, and CBS used to use the local announcers at first. So you, it's Scott's voice you'll hear if you get the right feed of, like, the ice bowl and that kind of stuff. Mm. But Scott worked with Pat Summerall for a long while. Um, and when they, when CBS decided to get rid of Scott, they brought, they moved Summerall from the uh, color position to the lead announcer position and first worked him with Tom Brookshire. And that was a really good pair too. Brookie was great. And he went on to do um, like NFL, um, the weekly show that they were doing in those days. Mm. Um, you know, that, that, um, um, that Greg, Greg Cosell does now. And, and, you know, the, the, the prototype of that. And Brookshire was fantastic at that. He, he's, he's a forgotten guy. But when you listen to Summerall, what you're hearing is Ray Scott. He paid attention and he learned. He's got a great voice and he learned how to get less, to get more out of less, which mm. was Ray Scott's, you know, don't talk a lot. Just describe it. Use good words to describe it. Let your other, let your, your color guy, um, you know, carry, carry the weight. And, uh, summer, when you're listening to Summerall, think of Ray Scott and, and, you know, nice. Um, at, at, at number two is Michaels and Collinsworth, mm-hmm. who I think was a, were a pretty great, um, replacement for, for Michaels and Madden. Um, when, when that, when that pair, which was very good, broke up. Yeah. Michaels was, Michaels was fine with John Madden. Um, and, and I think, my number one pair, obviously, is Pat Summerall and John Madden. Mm. Um, and from what I've said about Summerall, you can understand why. Madden was a revolution when he came in because he was really the first guy who started talking about inside stuff um, in, in the football. And of course, he did it with you know with that boom um, kind of yeah. kind kind of thing, um, and and it became almost a caricature of itself. And in the last years, Summerall and Madden got tired. Mm. Um, which you could, you know, you work together for a long time. You're both getting older. And then when, when they went to Fox, they were kind of rejuvenated 
when Fox paid a gazillion dollars to, to get them over, which, which turned out to be a great move because it put their football coverage on the map. And, mm. and immediately they started getting better stations in, in certain markets, you know, where the Fox station was not a, was not like as good as uh, powerful as the big three, um, for specifically for football. But Summerall and Madden changed the whole landscape of, of announcing pairs. And um, and Madden worked, as I said, worked together well with Michaels. Michaels worked pretty well with Dan Deardorff, who was one of the first of the next Maddens. <laughs> Everybody said, oh, you know, we, we don't need a, qu- a quarterback or a glamorous wide, re- you know, a, a Tom Brookshire or, or a Kyle Rode or, you know, one of these guys. Um, we, we want we want one of those big, ugly hog guys. Uh, <laughs> Who can say clever stuff? And you know, and and Deardorff was pretty good at it, um, was and was good for a, a long while. But but I don't think there's any question when you're doing your announcer pyramid, Summerall and Madden are at the top. And the one other guy who I couldn't find a good partner for because I, I just couldn't remember was Chris Schenkel, who's hmm. pretty much forgotten. Yeah, now. I don't know I, that. I, don't know. I, I worked with Schenk at ABC, hmm. um, but but in the fifties he did a lot of football, um, including like voiceovers for for things, but. He was a very good play-by-play guy, even even when he was working solo. Um, quick story: I was doing a fight in Belfast with Chris mm-hmm. Schenkel, and Shank was nervous um, that there would be, you know, you know, there were police going around with sniffer dogs and stuff before the fight, and it was a McGuigan fight. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, he's sitting at the announce table, and I'm I'm sitting with him before the fight's getting started, just going over some stuff with him. And he says, "You know, I'm really, you know." What what happens if there's an incident? You know, what happens if this? I said, yeah. What do I do? And I said, Chris, look around. And I looked down the thing, and there's a guy sitting at the end of the row with like a flat, broken nose, big, burly guy. looks looks like Victor McLaughlin in The Informer. You know, a John Ford <laughs> IRA movie. And I look at the guy, and I kind of give him a thumbs up, and the guy smiles at me and gives him a thumbs up. I says, that guy's special branch, Chris. <laughs> he's, he's here just to protect you. If there's any problem, go to him. And he you know, it. He'll, he'll be all over. He said, oh, great. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. <laughs> it was fantastic. Uh, I, love it. I, I loved it. But so I have a soft spot for Chris Schenkel, but he was a really good, a really good announcer. Terrific stuff, Mike. Now, hopefully, uh, if there are some names that you've thrown out that uh, some of our younger listeners in particular haven't heard of, go and seek them out. As Mike said, YouTube is a, is a is, great yeah. place for digging out some some deep dives and some superb names there. And loving your work as ever. If you want to read more of Mike, uh, head to patreon.com forward slash Mike Carlson, F-N-T-E, uh, all the weekend picks coming up. How'd you get on last week, pick-wise? Pickwise was, it was a little disappointing. I was on a, I was on like a nine one and one streak, um, after the Thursday and the early games. And then the late games killed me, but they seem to have killed everybody. You know, um, Cleveland, I, I wanted to pick Arizona and didn't. Um, no one picked Atlanta, I don't think. Um, I, I probably, yeah, I probably should have picked Dallas and, um, and I picked Oakland. I, I wouldn't have picked Jacksonville over Oakland, no. I don't think. Um, and then I, I bounced back with with um, with uh, Buffalo and um, Minneapolis and New Orleans. So where are you? Not, not many people picked Buffalo over Pittsburgh. 
Um, but I did. So, quite, a lot of people, quite a lot of people are on Buffalo. Ollie, so, Ollie and I were talking well, about I, I checked. I checked yesterday, and um, AccuScore and I remain tied. Yes, AccuScore. T- oh, okay. AccuScore picked Dallas, and I picked Buffalo, and that was the big difference between us. But um, yeah, we're we're tied at 150 correct games this <laughs> season, which is around 67 percent. Um, so yeah, good. the machine. Like this. Mike, well, Iron Mike versus the machine uh, has well, gone into its second week of that. drama. Jamie got in touch with us. Thanks for this, Jamie, at the NC Show, if you want to get in touch with us on, on social. And indeed, if you've got a question, we didn't get time for a mailbag this week. We'll do a bumper one next week. Uh, said, really think we should look for sponsorship for the wildcard weekend matchup between Carlson and AccuScore, a la Kasparov versus Big Blue. <laughs> and he adds, come on, Carlson. <laughs> what that's, that's great. I yeah, want to see big, big Blue. Iron Mike versus the machine. Um, yeah, one thing I just thought of, um, because you, you, you don't remember Ray Scott, but you did, you know, you you did a lot of baseball watching, and John Miller, yeah, doing the the yeah, late night Miller, baseball. great, yeah. That's yeah. who Ray Scott. John wow. Miller is kind of a Ray Scott type. He's got he's got that same you know that same kind of great voice, got it. Abil- ability to lay out, ability to get things in just a couple of words, um, you know, and and that's that would be a good modern comparison for Ray Scott. Love it, great, uh, John Miller, one of my faves. Love that, Mike. Crack and work. Well, good luck with the picks this week. I will be rooting for you versus Akishkor course. Um, and back next Wednesday, and also, wait a minute, what am I talking about, Mike? You're back no. with me Monday at ESPN. Monday. For Christmas special. Special Christmas show. Absolutely. Have you got a Christmas jumper lined up? <laughs> yeah, I think um, Bob Beeman um, from Mexico City <laughs> in 1968 is going to be my Christmas <laughs> jumper. Of course it would. Why would I expect anything else? <laughs> oh, well, I look forward to that. And uh, we will uh, get into the festive spirit on Monday. Uh, that one will drop Monday. And we'll have uh, some bonus video with me and the big man as well rolling out across ESPN channels and uh, our channels and uh, every other channel for that matter. Yada, yada, yada. Cracking work, man. Uh, we'll see you Monday. Okay, great. Fine work from Iron Mike. I've got to work out what kind of Christmas present I get for him this weekend. I have to bring something on Monday. Maybe, maybe I can go to touchdowntrips.com because they are doing some decent stocking filler gift vouchers. I mean, Iron Mike's been to America once or twice, so I don't know if he's necessarily the optimum person on my list for that, but I have plenty of people that would love that. And indeed, uh, if you're feeling in the generous spirit, maybe think about a trip to the States next year, maybe for the playoffs, maybe even for the Super Bowl. We'll look further ahead to next season. College, NFL, Touchdown Trips. They are your crew. Touchdowntrips.com. Lots of people I know have been on tours with them over the last few years. The best in the business in my humble estimation. So if you're thinking about taking the plunge and heading stateside for a game, those are your guys. we got Gab Marcotti at ESPN HQ on Friday. Looking forward uh, to catching up with him, making his season debut, of course. Big Philadelphia Eagles fan. So we'll uh, find out whether he thinks they can hold out in that NFC East divisional race. We'll preview all the weekend's action, Saturday games starting, of course. So a whole weekend of football. What is not to love about that? We'll see you Friday. Bye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network.